Welcome to Common Ground Church Rondebosch, a community based in Cape Town, South Africa, who believes that if Jesus is who he says he is, that changes everything. No matter your background, we can agree that culture has a complex relationship with money and morality. While wealth is often celebrated, there is also a stigma attached to being perceived as greedy or materialistic. Ironically, we have never had such a strong culture of consumerism rife in society and the church. At a deeper, more personal level, we know that money has incredible power to form us, power for health and flourishing, as well as pain and destruction. We also know that many of us live in a reality of hardship and scarcity, especially in South Africa. Yet we believe that God has wisdom and freedom from all the trappings and anxieties associated with money, as well as guidance on how to view it in its appropriate place and allow it to be the gift and blessing it can be. In this God and Money series, we seek to explore the intent of God's views on these matters, knowing that the ways of God in all things can lead to flourishing, life, joy, and healing. Please continue listening for our next installment of our God and Money series. Good evening, everyone. Um, So I'm reading two texts today. So it's gonna be quite a a long one, so hang in there. Um, And yeah, it's about generosity and you are encouraged to posture your hearts that God can do some work there. Um, And it's gonna be 2 Corinthians 8, 1 to 15, and then 2 Corinthians 9, 6 to 15. Um, And the context here is that Paul, the Apostle Paul is writing to the Corinthian church to encourage them to be generous in their offering to the suffering church in Jerusalem. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on, on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify and beyond their means for their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this is not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. Accordingly, we urged Titus that as he had started, so he should complete, uh, complete among you this act of grace. But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness and in, your, and in our love for you. See that you excel in this act of grace also. I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love is also genuine. For you know that the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that, by, so that you by his poverty might become rich. And in this matter, I give my judgment. This benefits you, who a year ago started not only to do this work, but also to desire to do it. So now, finish doing it as well, so that your readiness in desiring it may be matched by your completing it out of what you have. For the readiness is there, it is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. For I do not mean that others should be eased and you burdened, but that as a matter of fairness, your abundance at the, time, at the present time should supply their need so that you, their abundance may supply your need, that there be made fairness. As it is written, whoever gathered much had nothing left over and whoever gathered little had no lack. The cheerful giver. The point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver, and God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in good work, as it is written. He has distributed freely, he has given to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for for food, will supply and multiply your seed for sowing 
and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be entrenched in every way to be generous in every way, uh, which through us will provide, will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of the service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. By their approval, the service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all the others, while they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you. Thanks be to God for this inexpressible gift. This is the word of the Lord. That is a mouthful, right? A huge mouthful of text. You guys can't focus on what I'm saying because these guys are bringing props. I mean, but good evening, everyone. It's a very long passage of Scripture that we've been working through, but I just wanna say, I feel like it has been a good exercise for us to do, and I trust as we speak about this big subject of generosity tonight, that you will take from that text a whole lot. We're gonna unpack a whole lot from it. And maybe for those who are kind of new to the room, maybe haven't been journeying with us, we are in a four-part series called God and Money. And we're in night four of that this week um, where we're gonna be speaking about generosity. And, And this is a discipleship series. A discipleship series means that we're asking God to through His Word get hold of our hearts and to disciple us as economic beings more into His likeness. And hopefully as He does this, He leads us into greater freedom and shapes and forms us more and more into the very likeness of Christ. So far in week one, we touched on what God wants for us in tough economic times as economic disciples. Then we looked at how money shapes us and forms us. And last week, we looked at the power of greed in our lives, how it's so it's a lot easier to kind of recognize greed in others than it is to recognize it in ourselves. And and so we see ourselves uh, often, uh, yeah, in the wrong ways, right? And we need to deal with that in our lives. So today we get to to generosity, but here's the big question. I'm not sure about you, but our life group was like, alive on Tuesday nights as we were speaking about these things. And the big question that's kind of been plaguing me personally over all of these weeks is this question, am I truly living free in this area of my life? Am I truly living free in this area of my life? Am I living free or am I shackled? against my will? Am I weighed down by money matters in an unhelpful way? Or am I living free? Am I maybe being dictated to or directed by another master in my life? And so I wanna put that big question out there to you tonight. Are you living free? And here's the second big thing that I've been sensing for us as a community and for our lives specifically during this week, I've been feeling this. Guys, this is war. This is war. There is a spiritual battle for our souls and our contentment and our joy that is going on here. The battle is for nothing less than who will be the Lord of our lives. And I know that in a room this size, there are likely many people who are feeling shackled and weighed down by money matters, maybe debt and difficulty financially. Maybe you're longing for a job and you haven't been able to to find one. You're just feeling the kind of weight of these matters. One guy in our life group spoke about financial realities just generally feeling like this huge millstone on his neck. And he wasn't saying that from a place of poverty at all. He was just saying the complexity of money matters in our world and expectations and how to wrestle your heart and live free. It's a weighted thing in our lives. But here's what I believe. I believe that God wants us to be free. 
I believe that God says in Galatians 5 that it is for freedom's sake that I've come to set you free. And God wants to break us free. And God wants to see us living lighter and unshackled and unburdened in this area of our finances. And here's the picture that many years ago, a pastor friend in Johannesburg who now lives in the States shared. It's the picture of a mammon dragon. Can we put the picture up there? There it is, the mammon dragon, right? So let me explain this to you real quick. Mammon is money. It's the stuff, right? It's the loot in that sense. And the mammon dragon represents this spirit of mammon in our lives, a spirit of mammon in our lives. And the reality is that we, 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 we can see the kind of spirit of mammon in our lives as a dragon. And it's important for us to realize that this is no tame, kind or good-hearted dragon. See, the mammon dragon in our lives is a fierce guardian of power and privilege and comfort and security in our lives. And left unattended to, it sits right there over the resources, the loot of our lives to guard it and to guard what they promise they can provide for us. Here's the sad thing that I've noticed as a pastor, as a person. Not everybody sees the mammon dragon for what it really is in our lives. I think way too many people see the mammon dragon a bit more like this. It's kind of your friendly dinosaur maybe, different kind of dragon. See the loot's still there, it's kind of there. And you think, hey, yeah, this is most probably true. There's, there's a bit of this in, in my life, but actually this is, it's here and it's a friendly kind of dragon and, and most probably I, I can tame it and I can just with a bit of effort, I can help keep it in its place in my life. But this dragon is not able to be tamed. And this dragon is not your friend. This mammon dragon wants to master and protect and direct and it bullies us around and it, in a sense, cause, calls the shots in our lives and causes, causes us often to live in fear. And so here's what I want you to do. I wanna sensitize you to that tonight. And I, I would love you to, as I tonight speak about generosity, sense whether or not the mammon dragon in your life starts to stir. It's, it's insecure, right? It's, it's, it's scared that I'm coming for the loot of your life as I speak about generosity tonight. And so it is gonna get on the defensive mode and you may sense that in your very being. I can't tell for sure, but keep an eye out for it, right? Here's the lie that we must not believe about the mammon dragon the lie is that we can slay the mammon dragon in our lives. We cannot slay the mammon dragon in our lives. Even Mother Teresa said that money has a power that we will contend with till our dying day. She was a person on the streets of Calcutta who had given everything up to serve the poorest of the poor. And even she realized that money has a power. It's, it's like that dragon coming to visit from time to time and it will come to visit until our dying days. But here's the good news. The good news is that we get to push back this dragon in our lives. It can be wounded and it can be pushed back so that it doesn't sit so dominant over the resources of our lives. And here's what I've come to see as I've studied the Scriptures is that giving and generosity is like a huge big sword in our lives. And what can happen is we can swing the sword of generosity in our lives and we can push back that mammon dragon and put it in its place. See, what can happen in our lives is when we wield this sword of generosity and giving, we are operating out of faith and not fear. When we wield this sword of generosity and giving in our lives, we are acting as disciples not just those who are trying to be disciplined and like squeeze out some generosity because uh, that's the right thing to do. No, we wield the sword of generosity as disciples and as we do so, we become more like Christ. 
And lastly, we wield the sword of generosity just like Jesus did as an act of worship and as an act of followership. Jesus said, I only do that which I see the Father doing. And here we, we see in the scriptures, lives poured out as living sacrifices as we generously give of our very lives. Christ follower today is an invitation to pick up your sword of generosity in your life. There is both great joy and there is great freedom to be found in being a generous people. And I believe that only happens when we start wielding the sword of generosity in our lives for God's glory and ultimately for our good because He knows us best and He loves us most and anything He calls us to is ultimately for our good. But this is something that God's gotta do in our hearts, right? This is something that we can preach about, we can look to God's word and we're gonna do that tonight, but God needs to do it in our hearts. So let's pray together. Father, won't you, even right now, Spirit, come and be with us. Come and counsel and guide us and direct us. Even comfort us tonight. Won't you get a hold of our hearts in a way that helps us, Lord, to move out of the way, less of us and more of you, God. Won't you open our eyes to see things clearly here tonight? And God, won't you do your deep surgery and work in our hearts? And may we find ourselves living ever more like you and ultimately, God, being a people unshackled and free because we don't just walk in your ways, we run joyfully in them. We pray this in your beautiful name. Now today, we're gonna start, what did I say? Oh, you said amen. Sorry, I thought you were calling me. We're gonna start by using another sword, two swords up here. The Word of God, when it speaks about the armor of God, speaks about the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And what we're gonna do when we talk about generosity, the first thing we're gonna do is we're going to, in a sense, allow the Word of God to be wielded in our lives to help us come into God's view of and a right biblical understanding of generosity so that once we've seen this sort of the Spirit, the Word of God, wielded in our lives, we can rightfully and joyfully with anticipation pick up the sword of generosity and start to wield that, right? Lots of swords tonight. So let's, let's go to the Word. Let's, let's get into a biblical understanding of generosity. We're gonna unpack that, answer a few questions, then we kind of come to personal and corporate application for us. So point one, what is generosity? 2 Corinthians 8 says this, we want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia for in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their parts. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favour of taking part in the relief of the saints." Generosity biblically is firstly a grace. It's an act of unmerited favor and goodness. Generosity is also an overflow, right? It's, a, it's an overflow. It speaks there. They overflowed with their generosity. Thirdly, it's a giving. It is always a giving of ourselves. I recognize many people are students here and we're doing a God and money series, so you may be more into God than you are in money right now in this season of your life, right? The, the reality is though, we can be generous with so many things, our time, our energy, our acts of service, our attention. There's lots of things we can be generous with, but guess what? Get God's heart on generosity and be a person who is self-giving and you will find you will become generous in all areas of your life. So just because you may not have money and you're living off mom and pops' money or whatever it is, it doesn't mean you cannot be a generous person even today. And there's a great gift actually to those of you who are younger in life is you can start to practice these things when in a sense it feels like there's less at stake. 
You've got unique time and energy and capacity in this season of your life to be generous in a whole bunch of really cool ways. I remember Rigby saying to me, hey, Ryan, uh, you may not, I went to speak to him. There was an extra offering thing and I was like, Rig, I really can't give much at this point. What do I do? He's like, Ryan, you're in a season of life where you've got a lot of things at your disposal. He was like, you may not be able to go big in generosity financially right now. Still give what you can give, but then go big in other areas of generosity with your time and your energy that youthfulness provides. And I remember that was like, don't let yourself off the hook. Give the little you got. Be generous in this moment, but actually be very generous with the things you have extra measure of. It's a giving of ourselves. And then lastly, the scripture tells us here that the Macedonian church was looking for this favor, this privilege of being able to be generous. Biblically, generosity is a grace, an overflow, a giving, and a privilege. And so I want us to see it as that, which leads to point two, why be generous? And there are a number of reasons, a number of reasons we are called to be generous. But the most important one I wanna highlight tonight is found in verse nine of chapter eight. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that by his poverty, so that you by his poverty might become rich. See, our inclination can be to read that text and kind of go, oh, God did so much for me, therefore I must try and pay him back. And that's not what the scripture is saying. What the scripture is saying, firstly, as we see how much God has done, we should find ourselves naturally wanting to respond in beautiful ways of right response. That's brilliant, right? But I think the even bigger call for us through this text is, is that we're called to be generous because through us, God's nature shines forth. His character is shown as we find ourselves reenacting the very life of God. And we can't read this text and say, oh, I must do it in some kind of debtor ethic kind of way to God. That is not the spirit of the scriptures here. We called to be generous because it is a reflection of his beautiful nature. John 1, this is the text that we've been coming back to and again and again this year that from God's fullness, his overflowing nature, he has poured out upon us grace upon grace. And as we find ourselves full of his goodness, watching everything that he's poured into us come into us from that place of fullness, we too are able to overflow towards others, not in a debtor's ethic. See, I believe generosity is a witness to a watching world. And I believe generosity is counter-cultural in a world of me first. And generosity is beautiful in a world of brokenness, right? It's beautiful. And generosity is intriguing to people. It, it, there's, it brings lots of interest. Mr. Beast, giving away cash to a whole bunch of people, has 150 million, 58 million followers, right? And I watched a documentary this afternoon with my kids, the kind of origins and rise of Mr. Beast or whatever. Interesting story, because I was quite a judger. Seems like there's a bit of heart somewhere in there. But his generosity is actually an economic engine, so I'm not even sure we can call it generosity, because the more he gives, the more money he makes. So. I don't know where his heart's at, but the, the point I'm trying to make is when you look at 158 million followers, people are intrigued by generosity in our worlds and videos about yachts and stuff like that. <laughs> Scott Ridout says this about Christian generosity. Generosity is not an idea, hope, or desire. It is a choice. It is a direction. It is a lifestyle. I would love to add to that. It is a character trait. Our God is a generous God, and our goal as believers is to become like Him. This is why we give. And I think true generosity is an evidence to a watching world that we are a set-apart people that we operate in a different spirit. And in that way, I think it's something of an, a, a modern apologetic. 
It speaks to people. They ask questions. Where are you coming from? What do you believe? Why do you operate this way? And our lives of generosity become a modern apologetic in that way. Speaking to one of the business guys in our church, he leads a big company, over 3,000 employees. And about seven years ago, God got hold of his heart in a beautiful way. And he says, hey, people started noticing my character was changing. It was a beautiful thing and lots of people were commenting on it. And he says, and then just because I was kind of feeling God in these things and I felt like, how can I do more? I spoke to the rest of the directors and I wrestled them over for a bit, but we instituted a 10% of profits generosity fund in our very large company. And we started to live out greater generosity. And let me tell you, hundreds of people in the company wanted to know where's this coming from and who abducted you and replaced you with this guy. See, when God gets hold of our hearts and we find ourselves living more generously to everyone around ourselves and less for ourselves, it becomes this modern day apologetic. God living and active and shining through us. So point three, how are we called to be generous? And to answer this, I wanna first encourage you to go do some homework. See, in 2 Corinthians chapter eight and nine, we've read parts of those chapters tonight, chunky parts of that. There is so much in those two chapters about just the spirit of generosity and the way we do things. And I wanna encourage you to go and read those two chapters slowly and take a pen and circle different ingredients that you can find in those two chapters about how God calls us to be generous. I was gonna attempt to teach you 19 points from these passages, but I will just take two. There's a lot in there, go and read it at home. Two verses that draw out, I think, two absolutely foundational elements of how God wants us to go about generosity. The first one is a heart matter, the second one is a wisdom matter. Verse seven of chapter nine, it speaks to the heart's attitude of being generous. Each one must give as he's decided in his heart. It's a heart matter. Not reluctantly. Don't be half-hearted about it. Not under compulsion. Don't do this because someone else says so. Guys, it'll be a total fail if you find yourself walking out of here tonight and starting to exercise generosity because Ryan said so. No, that would be terrible, right? And I wanna just pause for a moment. And for those who have seen uh, the church of Jesus Christ do this poorly over the years, I wanna apologize for where the church of Jesus Christ has got this wrong and has manipulated and coerced and pressurized people into giving in unsanctified, ungodly kind of ways and where even Christian leaders have uh, tried to attract to themselves blessing. Guys, that is not the spirit of this text. That is something that we as a church want nothing to do with. God says not under compulsion, for God Here's the key, loves a cheerful giver. God loves it when our hearts are in it and when we see the opportunity and when we recognize what's really happening. God, here's an opportunity from out of some of the fullness you've given me to overflow towards others. What a great joy that I get to partake in your character and participate in what you're doing. What a great joy that you've given me means to participate. He loves it when we're cheerful in these ways. Don't you love how that one verse encapsulates God's desire for how we are to give? Secondly, let's look at verse 10, which speaks to wisdom and how we are to be generous. Verse 10, he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You guys are all bright in the room. Let me ask you, bread is for? Eating. Seed is for? Sowing. Here's the economic wisdom of the Scriptures, which is vitally important to us. Did you know that one third of South South Africa's economically able population is living beyond their means today? 
I'm not talking about the people who don't have means, I'm talking about one third of the economically able with means, members of our South African society are living beyond their means. What does that mean? It means that they are eating their bread and they're eating their seed. They're living beyond their means. And the scriptures encourage us in a couple of things. One, that God has given us bread. This is the God of daily bread and manna. And so when we receive bread in our lives, what do we do? We eat it with joy. Thank you, Lord, for providing in my life today. And I eat this with joy because it's bread for today. And the people of God were encouraged not to keep the manna bread for tomorrow. But then the scriptures also hold these wisdom principles about seed and they say, hey, you need to be wise with the seed that you've been given for sowing. Sow towards future provision. The scriptures call us to be wise and sow towards future provision. And the, the scriptures also tell us that some of that seed is for sowing towards God, being generous to the purposes of God. And what's the important thing here? God is going to multiply our bread. No, lots of us live to see our bread multiplied. No, the scripture says God will multiply our seed for sowing and He will increase the harvest of our righteousness. That's our character and, and, and the fruitfulness of our lives. So this is another biblical principle, and this is great to come to you guys on the early side. I know not everybody's young in the room, but for those that are young in the room, coming to this early is draw a circle around your bread line for your life. Did you know that they ran a stat across the world? It was in more than 100 countries and they asked people in all kinds of different economic brackets, did they feel like they had enough? Do you know that more than 70% of every economic bracket across multiple countries and cultures said, no, I do not believe I have enough? And here's the crazy thing. Across all the different economic brackets, across the majority of all these countries and different cultures, everybody agreed that if they just had 10% more, they would be content. What does that tell you? that we have a moving target of the bread in our lives. Because I'm here, I've got this much bread. Hey, actually, not quite enough bread, Lord. Could I have a bit more bread? Great, if I just had 10% more bread, Lord, then I would be content. But what happens is we get into the 10% more, now we're in a different economic bracket, and guess what, they got the same problem. Lord, I don't have enough bread, Lord. Could I have 10%? And you move all the way through all the brackets, and even the guys in the top brackets are still saying, don't have enough, don't have enough. Guys, draw a contentment bread circle in your lives and then know that God is going to multiply the seed of your life for sowing. Sowing in wise stewardship and sowing to, in generosity to God. He will multiply it. He will increase the harvest. Fourthly, where are we biblically called to be generous? I think a greater scan of the Scriptures calls us to be generous in at least six different Directions. There likely are lots more. Firstly, to our immediate families. 1 Timothy 5 says some strong things to those who willingly tap out of providing for their, their immediate family. Secondly, Galatians 6 tells us, let's look for opportunities to be generous to everyone especially those in the household of God. That's why we have a mercy fund here at, at Bosch. A mercy fund is a, is a fund, it's a special bank account. People in the context of this church give money into it. And then we as elders and some of our other staff that are working lots with the reality of where people find themselves are able to give to members of our household that have found themselves in hard times. It's a beautiful display of this Galatians 6 reality. First to the family of God. And over years, it's been amazing to see us helping with school fees for single moms and food vouchers for people who are just needing to get through and medical expenses where those have kind of racked up. God has been generous through the people of this community to the people of this community. Thirdly, we call to be generous to the poor, which is obviously all over the Bible. And also, fourthly, widows and orphans, James 1, strangers and foreigners, Hebrews 13. And a big one, we are called to be generous to God. Now, how does that work, right? When we're called to be financially generous to God. 
I wanna take a few minutes to speak to where I believe the scriptures primarily call us to be generous to God, which is through regular committed giving in the local church. See, all generosity, all giving should be done as unto the Lord. We saw it in the scriptures, they gave themselves to us, but they gave themselves firstly to the Lord. That's the way we do it. But people often ask me this question, is tithing even mandatory in the New Testament? Immediately, I would suggest that's the wrong way to approach this subject because behind that question, I see a framework of law and blessings and curses, that kind of understanding and underpinning. I would suggest that the better question for us to ask as New Covenant people is, what does the New Testament teach about giving to God? And I've got nine things I wanna quickly say about that. Firstly, the New Testament speaks of giving to the Lord, not as law, but as grace. And when I say, ah, grace, you think, ah, that means less than, right? But that's not the way they understood grace in the New Testament. See, Jesus said, you, according to the law, are called to walk one Roman mile. I say to you, grace says walk a second Roman mile. Grace in the New Testament always goes beyond the requirements of the law. Secondly, the New Testament also goes beyond the law as Jesus explains to us that giving is a heart matter. When Jesus himself says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. That's the wrong way around, Jesus. See, I know where my heart is is with with my kids. And so I find it easy to give my treasure there. Where my treasure is there, I mean, where my heart is, there my treasure wants to be. So what is Jesus saying when he says it the other way around? Where your treasure is, there your heart will be. Is he'll say, hey, and these acts of generosity, as you give of yourself, you actually are gonna find your heart invested in what you are giving to. And you you will find yourself drawn into these matters. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Thirdly, the New Testament carries forth the principle of in proportion to your wealth. This is speaking about a wisdom of proportional giving. And I would say in our day and age, percentage giving from what we have. And also to the measure of generosity we have, right? Proportional giving. If, if our, our measure of ability is higher, we call to more proportional generosity. Fourthly, the New Testament also carries on the understanding of stewardship. Stewardship says, hey guys, you're not actually owners. You're just stewards of everything that you've been given. It's all God's anyway. So we should be eager to spend it towards Him and His purposes, not just our own. Fifthly, the New Testament also carries on the practice of offerings, which are special moments of giving and over and above generosity. Sixthly, the New Testament also speaks on how giving to God evidences that we are His people, part of the family and the household of God. Seventhly, the Old Testament required 10% tithe. In other words, if there were 10 rows of grapes in your grapevine, the first row of grapes went to the temple, right? But the New Testament pattern, if you go and read early Acts, is that people sold their houses and their possessions and they gave from positions of wealth and poverty to propel the mission of the gospel forward. See, church, we are not just maintaining priests and temples. We're in a New Testament era where the commission is the great commission and that's to the very ends of the earth. Eight, both the Old Testament and New Testament practice that all types of giving to God are to be done primarily through the household of God. And in the New Testament, it tells us that elders will give an account for the stewardship of how the local church uses these resources for God's mission and for God's glory. And then lastly, both in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, we see God's people being reprimanded for failing to be generous to God with their material wealth. And go and read the Ananias and Sapphira story if you need some convincing there. So no, I cannot find one verse 
that says in the New Testament, you must give 10% as a Christ follower. But I think when I read my Bible, the New Testament people were way more generous than that. And I can't figure out how some would say, no, we just live under grace and therefore it's less than. Think about this, God's people throughout the Old Testament, Old Covenant people gave 10 and they participated. We as New Testament people new, under the New Covenant have received so much more, everything we need for life and godliness from Christ Himself. I cannot compute that we would live in anything less than the Old Covenant people. So personally, we continue to believe and practice the idea of 10% first fruits giving in our households because we wanna be rich to God first and we wanna be rich to God through his chosen vehicle of redemption in the world, the local church. And guess what? That's, that's just one part of our personal economic discipleship and generosity plan. And I think every one of us should have a personal economic discipleship and generosity plan. Kate and I freshly this week looked at it for us and recognized there are six things that we have valued and lived in for the whole of our marriage and we wanna continue to grow in our measure of all six of those things. C.S. Lewis said this, I do not believe one can settle how much we ought to give. I'm afraid the only safe rule is to give more than we can spare. That's the heart's attitude of an overflowing life. So, have you got on? Have you got a plan? Are you able to articulate it? Are you at least participating in what God's people throughout the ages have done, which is giving of your first fruits of your economic life and discipleship to Him? See, Scripture tells us each according to his ability determined to give. Can I speak to the students again or those that are young? Guys, one of the greatest joys of my life today is having some measure of being able to be generous. I, I, it is a great joy to be able to be generous. But I so wish that someone had told me before I started kind of my economic ability that wherever you peg it in the beginning is what you build off for the rest of your life. So imagine this, you got zero now, right? You walk out of this job. Imagine if you just went, I'm gonna be a 20% generous person. The first paycheck you get, let's say it's 100 rands, yay for you. Imagine you just said, hey, I got 80 rands, yes! Because God gave me 20 rand to, to be generous with through the local church and through other things, yay, and I'm gonna live off my 80. Every single time your salary goes up, your 80 goes up from there. How beautiful is that? You get one opportunity to start. After that, you're trying to claw it back. Be wise and think about the long-term trajectory of your life. I know you've been eating student food and you just can't wait to pay for your own meal and get on with it and buy a car and what it, guys, there's a unique opportunity before you. Who's called to be generous? Every follower of Christ is called to be generous, everybody. Beautiful story of a lady in our community, I don't know who she is, but today her testimony is being told. Story, a lady in our community who fell upon hard times and we gave her food vouchers for pick and pay to just help her get through the difficult time. And then somebody else recognized what she was doing. Every single time she went to the shop, she took an extra little pick and pay packet with her and she bought a few goods with the food vouchers that we as a church had provided for and she put them in a packet and she gave them to someone else less fortunate than herself on her way home. Church, let me tell you, she gets it. She gets it, that her, her life is not a dam, her life is a river and proportionately, she may find herself in a position of going, I'm just so grateful, Lord, for what you've given me. And she can receive from God. But guess what? As she gives of the little that she has, she gets to reenact the very nature of God. Some of you might be looking for jobs currently. Some of you might be under economic difficulty. Let me just tell you this. I cannot let you off the hook tonight because you cannot switch off the nature and work of God in your life. 
All of us, 100% of the people in this room can be generous in different ways. We've just got to determine how we will be generous. Make sense? Secondly, those with more are called to be more generous. 1 Timothy 6, Paul says this to Timothy. He says, hey, the rich in this present age, which means if you've got a house and a car, maybe even a TV and a car on world standards, you most probably fit into this category. But some people sitting in this room, you already knew you were in the category of rich in this present age. Paul says, charge those who are rich in this present age, they are to do good, to be rich in good works and to be generous and ready to share. Why does God say charge the rich? I think he says this because he knows something about the inclination of our hearts that often it is harder for us to be generous. Somehow, weirdly, the wealthier we become. We know this, we've seen this, right? Guess what, that's not just a sentiment, it's a stat. The Gallup Research Institute confirms that as a person income, as their income goes up, they actually get less generous. And the richest income brackets in our world today is only roughly half as generous as the lowest income bracket in our world today. Isn't that crazy? Church, not so with us. We will walk in a different spirit. We will recognise and we will display that we are a set apart people to whom much is given, much is required. But let me say this, God doesn't have a problem with people being rich and He doesn't have a problem with money either. He says it's the love of money that is the root of evil and He knows that for rich people that makes things pretty hard, right? But these Timothy verses are actually evidencing to us that God has in His heart a way to be rich and godly. Here's what it looks like. Do good, be rich in good works, generous and ready to share. No problem with being rich as long as you're evidencing God's instructions on what to do with that. I've been so encouraged in our community over the years, how many stories there are of people who, who are living in, in economic ability, choosing to use that ability to greater measure to help others beyond themselves, being more generous towards others and God. People who've helped their lower income staff members educate their children start businesses and build houses and extra rooms on their houses to get rent and increase their household income and break cycles of poverty in their lives. And I've seen business people come into the church, come have conversations with myself and Al and others kind of going, hey, we sold a business, we sold a property, we came into some extra share payout realities and, and what does it look like for us to be rich towards God and rich towards others in this moment? And we've had the great privilege of being able to counsel and guide where we feel like that could do good. What a great privilege, those with more being more generous. How many of you know Ash Pullen? It's one of the people in the community that is an inspiration in this area to me and doesn't look like everybody knows her. Let's watch a video quickly of how she's taken the having more to be a call to be more generous in her life. Growing up, we always had a mom who was very generous and she would often point out situations where people were in need and she would highlight it to us and I guess kind of prompt us and challenge us with how we were going to face that situation. So I naturally feel like I am wired this way, but becoming Christian, it just all clicked into place and it made so much more sense to me that we have a generous, kind, good father who has given us so much in his son Jesus and it's out of that space that I often want to serve others and um, look for the need around me. And so I often find myself in situations of being blessed, thinking, how can I bless other people? How can I use my privilege for the good of those around me? So I started an Instagram page called The Giving Space in about 2020, where it was a time where I could just see there was so much need around us. And a lot of the formal structures that had previously been there to help people we're no longer there. How the Giving Space account works is we will profile different causes um, with a photo with the person's permission, with a little bit of a blurb of what they are needing, where they are looking for assistance. And whoever feels like they want to give can give and they just reference that person's name. I tally up um, the money and then we, we hopefully meet the need. One of the great examples of this was a single mom and her son last year. She was waitressing at the time and her 10 year old son 
came to the hospital where my sister works as a doctor and she yeah she just got chatting to my sister around how her son had been diagnosed with asthma and just after a few minutes my sister realized he didn't actually have asthma he had um severe anxiety and was presenting with panic attacks because his mom was unable to pay school fees and the school was threatening to kick him out so we were able to pop her onto the giving space and within 36 hours we had raised 30,000 rand for them for school fees which meant that they were able to pay for the school fees for the rest of 2022 as well as for the whole of 2023 and it was just the most incredible picture of god's generosity towards this family and this mom in her parenting journey and yeah we didn't know it at the time but she had been praying for months for god to meet this need for her and she'd had quite a rough time of it with um yeah being scammed of money and just not being able to meet the need and not knowing how she was going to be able to pay these school fees yeah it was just an incredible story of how a young boy's life was changed and he's doing so much better he is um no longer presenting with the anxiety like he was and yeah it was just incredible to be a part of that i have been burnt along the way and i think it's in those moments god has really made me and he has reminded me that i don't just give because of the suffering that i see around me i give because he's called me to give that he's called all of us to give this is not about me this is just something that i started because i got chatting to a few friends and a few people saying that they would love to give towards something that they trusted something where they could see a face they could see a name and they knew exactly where their 100 200 300 rand was going Uh, but anybody can do this and i feel like at the end of the day it's about acknowledging that there is a lot of need around us in south africa and we cannot turn a blind eye so much of humanity is accepting that there are people suffering around us and we get to use our privilege for good we get to uh, extend what we have to share that with other people around us in our spheres it's beautiful right i love it she's owning it god's given her more in her life and that's the position she finds herself in but what is she going to do to steward that well and towards others right those with more are called to greater generosity there is a third category that i just want to touch on of people that are directly called by the scriptures to be generous and this category is called the romans 12 gift of giving See in Romans 12 we see uh, the scriptures speaking about lots of different gifts that are given to the church for the building up of the church and one of the gifts that is given in Romans 12 is the gift of giving and the direct instruction to those who have the gift of giving is to do so generously And as with every gift this gift does two things. One it causes others to be inspired to use kind of this gift in their life more. Like when we see prophets being prophetic, all of us want to prophesy. And when we see the evangelists evangelizing and reaching people for Jesus, we find ourselves saying, "Oh man, I really got to get out there and and speak to my neighbors," right? It causes something in us to pop in the in the Romans 12 gift of giving does the same it causes something in us to be stirred to participate in more of that activity and then often the Romans 12 gift is given to punch a hole and break ground take ground in the kingdom of God in in the purposes of God and as with every gift let me say this gifts are given and then they exercised in different measure so we know people who prophetic and there's a measure of kind of the prophetic gifting being outworked in their lives likewise with the gift of giving there is a measure of this gift being worked out i want to tell you a really cool story of the greatest measure gift that we have in our our kind of broader context here at common grounds see how many of you know in covid we've told the story before in covid we were approached by the retreat center that we often do camps student camps youth camps all kinds of camps on out in franchuk it's called bridges they came to us they were being forced to sell because they had no income for an extended time no camps for like 2 years and so they come to us and they say hey guys won't you as one of the most frequent users of this space take this over and become kingdom stewards of this space and we like guys it's covid we could never take this to our church uh but actually let's pray about it we pray about it al rig myself a few others and we say lord if you want to give us this place in th- inside 30 days with 3 million rand not from inside of common grounds we will throw out that fleece and this will be your provision and we will see this as your call to us to be stewards 
miraculous story. God provides three million rand from a business owner, Christian, with the Romans gift uh, in, in Durban, who another friend told us about, who happened to be on holiday in Franschhoek when we found him two days before the 30 days was up. God provides the space, now we stewards. As we stewards of the space, we set, put it, wisdom tells us, put it in a different entity, not, don't own it inside the church for all those wise reasons. And, and we take on the space and yet, because it's in our hearts, we feel God speaking, the thing he's spoken so many times to us, where it's about hearts towards heaven and hands towards humanity. And so on weekends, we have Christian camps and it's mainly churches and youth groups and things like that, paying clients that come and use the space. But we wanna do something to serve the city midweek. And so we put together an education team. And last year, we had over just on 2,000 students from the poorest non-fee paying schools come on 24 camps where our ed team works with educators in their schools, CAPS aligned curriculum and most life engaging, world-changing moment for these young kids. And here's the thing, other than sponsoring 2,000 kids at 1,400 rand each to go on camp, those were the fundraising kind of needs that we were feeling and God was providing and it was amazing to see. We've lived with an 18.5 million rand bond over kind of that, that project. And every month servicing interest only on that was very cumbersome. And yet God was providing month by month, but man, it felt like this huge millstone on our necks, right? With regards to just being able to crack on. We brought a family uh, who've historically exercised the Romans 12 gift in different parts of the common ground story over the years. No longer live in our city. They came on site, they checked things out and they said, hey, this is a beautiful thing that God is doing here. We'd love to help. Next thing that happened was unprecedented and unexpected to all of us. A couple of months later, a donation of a million US dollars was put in the Bridges account. When we clicked the button to translate that, that's 18.35 million rands. And when we engaged with this Romans 12 gift, he was very self-defacing and kind of pushing away from himself and just said, hopefully that takes the millstone off the neck and we can get around, we can get on with building for the future. A Romans 12 gift of giving recognizes that God has given you a unique ability to be a blessing beyond yourself. And I'm not sure about you, but I still get goosebumps as I tell this story. It causes and inspires generosity in all of us when we see God using people in that beautiful way. We're now operating pretty much bond-free in that space. Just some projects going on, other things. Don't hold back there, that's not what I'm saying. Lots more activity in that direction. But what a beautiful moment, right? A moment of seeing a God-given gift to the church operate in a way that causes us to want to worship. And this is point six, the last point, the results of generosity. What are the results of generosity? Here are at least six from the text today. Generosity changes things and makes them happen. Generosity clubs bonds and generosity gives pick and pay packets with a few food items to people on the streets. And generosity leads to thanksgiving and worship. Guys, I've seen this church be generous over the years. My heart has absolutely sung with gratitude and worship at times. Generosity releases generosity in others. Generosity lays a foundation for future blessing in our lives. Generosity shapes and forms our lives more into Christ's likeness and generosity leads to joy. It leads to joy for those kids on camp and the person in the street and it leads to joy for the givers and the receivers. Generosity is a beautiful thing birthed in the heart of God. So let's talk about implications. Implications for you personally. Can I encourage you, getting started in the area of generosity is more important than how much. Getting started is more important than how much. Write an economic discipleship and generosity plan. Decide how much you are going to give. Be determined in that and get going. Decide how you're gonna give to God through the local church, how you're gonna give beyond and to other things and then get going. Starting is the key. 
A second key, and particularly for many people in the room here tonight in your season of life, generosity is only gonna be possible when you live in less yourself. That's often the case, right? I made myself accountable to Kate, my wife, this week with what I'm giving up for the rest of this year so that I can live in this. It's gonna hurt. What can you say no to to be more generous? One less coffee for us. That's not what I'm giving up. But one less coffee for us is a meal for someone who needs it. One less meal out is possibly a food supply for a week for an impoverished family. But here's the biggest one that I'm convinced of. Exercising generosity in our personal lives should be done in a way that causes us to break free and live free. See, when you grab the sword of generosity and you wield it wildly in your life, you actually break some things. You push that mammon dragon back into the shadows and off of the kind of central place and throne of your life and means, and you actually live free. You live free, less shackled, less controlled, less in fear, hopefully feeling lighter too. Trust God for opportunities to be generous. It is a very freeing experience. And then Bosch, I just wanna speak to us for a moment. As a church, I wanna say I believe the same Macedonian grace which was upon them for giving is upon us as a church. See, there's a, a, an important reality for us as a church when it comes to the reality of being uniquely called to be generous. Just like the example here in 2 Corinthians, I know that we are called to be extra generous. Why? One, Luke 12 says this, to whom much is given is much required. Church, we have so much as a local church. So much. And so much is required of us. And I don't see that as a burden. That is a great joy. That is a great joy for us as a church to live into. Secondly, I know that we called to ridiculous generosity as a church because of uh, right at the beginning of our church, God gave us a word and spoke to us out of Genesis 12 through the Abrahamic covenant and said this, common ground, I will bless you and you will be a blessing and through you the nations of the world will be blessed. And that was when there was 150 of us in the church at the time. And I wanna give you the church CV of churches planted and people sent and that kind of stuff. But 25 years later, common goods, bridges, 25 years later, we know that God is not a liar. He has blessed us and we have been a blessing and we will continue to be a blessing to the very ends of the earth. Because of that word 15 years ago, we became a 20% generous church. What do I mean by that? Most churches that I know, they exercise first fruits, right? And so 10% of what comes into the local church gets given out to the poor and, and to gospel advance and things like that. Well, because of the specific call on us as a collective, we 15 years ago became a 20% generous church. 10% going to remembering the poor in the city and loving our neighbors and 10% going to gospel advance beyond the activity of our church through other churches in different contexts and nations. But here's the major collective economic challenge for us as a, a, a community. Do you know that 100% of what's currently happening is being carried by less than 50% of our people? We have an average of 460 regular committed givers. We don't know if they're individuals or couples or families. And everything we do is made possible through their, your generosity. So this is where I wanna start with our collective journey. Everyone being called to be rich towards God in this direction for all the reasons I mentioned earlier. And I wanna say there's great opportunity before us church as we give ourselves this. There is more for us to live into. 1,785 people who call them this their church. And we've got a limited amount of staff and pastoral muscle to serve those people. Lots to live into, but there is lots more to live out as we give of ourselves beyond common ground. And so I, I wanna say God's using us in this, but guys, as with any measure of gift, God's put this grace upon us, but I would love to see us grow. Can I invite you to stand?
Guys, I want to put both of these swords before you here tonight. And I want to encourage you. If you claim the name of Christ in your life and you are His follower, I want to ask you, so on this matter of generosity, we've had four weeks in this series of God and money. I wanna ask you on this matter of generosity to make it your mission to go and do the word work. Get into the scriptures and allow the Spirit of God, the, the sword of the Spirit, sorry, which is the word of God to cut into your life and bring fresh perspective and allow God's word to cut across the worldview that you may have and bring biblical understanding so that scales would fall from your eyes with regards to the truth of what he has for you in this area. And then church, I wanna call us to pick up the sword of generosity and giving. And I want us to wield it wildly in faith. And I want us to live as a free people, right? Free people that are not shackled in burdens. Holy Spirit, tonight as we close this meeting, I wanna ask you to continue to work in our hearts through the sword of the Spirit, which is your word. Won't you cause these two chapters of the scripture to come alive to us? Won't your words find us and teach us and guide us and direct us? Spirit, come and testify to the truth of who Jesus is and His Lordship in our lives. And then God, may we tonight be a people who pick up the sword of generosity in our lives and may we live in faith and may we live in freedom. And ultimately, may you be glorified through our lives as we are set free and others are blessed. We pray this all in Jesus' wonderful name. Amen.